Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time today. Please lend me your ears as I tell you a true story from the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania. As you ride along Route 248 in the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania, you'll come to a small rural town called Beersville. Despite its name, since the Beersville Hotel burned down in 1985, there's been no place carrying alcoholic beverages in the village. But our story takes place quite a bit earlier than that. In fact, a hundred years earlier. So the whole thing, well, at least for the telling of the events, started around 2 a.m. in the morning of September 6, 1889. Mrs. Margaret Dillard woke her husband from a deep sleep, saying that she heard a noise near the chicken coop of her Beersville, Pennsylvania farm. Aaron was reluctant to go outside there was no telling who was out there how dangerous they might be but margaret insisted handing him a lantern and a shotgun as aaron went to investigate the noise and he still couldn't hear by the way margaret waited on the porch and their 13 year old son jacob along with her the chicken coop appeared to be just fine and aaron started back to the house but his wife told him to check the cherry tree near the road where the chickens sometimes roosted. Aaron went back to the tree. Neither Margaret nor Jacob heard a gunshot, but Aaron come stumbling out of the dark a few minutes later and fell dead right at their feet. The doctor would find that he had been shot twice with a shotgun slug right through the heart and buckshot to his neck. The killer had apparently used a double-barrel shotgun. 
how in the world the man was able to make it back to the house, nothing short of a miracle itself. Anybody that's ever witnessed the damage caused by a shotgun slug would have to agree with me on that, I'm sure. Detectives Johnson and Simon, who arrived from eastern Pennsylvania later that day, at first believed that chicken thieves had shot Aaron Dillard when he was caught him trying to hook a few chickens. The term hook is also a mountain term. In case you're wondering what it means, it means to steal or maybe borrow without permission. You go hook something. The hooking of chickens was ruled out fairly soon afterward because upon the examination of Mr. Dillard's shotgun, it was found that somebody had removed the firing pin, which rendered the gun useless. So poor Mr. Dillard pretty much brought a stick to a gunfight. On top of that, the detectives found no trace of intruders near the chicken coop. But by the cherry tree, they found footprints left by boots, a set of keys, and a paper wad from a killer's gun. Apparently, it was a old-fashioned blunderbuss-type shotgun that was manually loaded. This included pouring powder down the barrel or into a cartridge within the barrel, followed by paper wadding and then a slug or various articles of shrapnel which could be tamped into place and held there until the weapon was fired. There were by now several indications that Mr. Dillard's death had been the result of a well-laid plan. Though Margaret and Jacob heard no gunshots, neighbors a half mile away did hear them. At this point, I have to say that things aren't looking good for old Margaret, are they? Detectives Johnson and Simon believed that Margaret Dillard concocted or was involved in a plot to murder her husband. Upon being asked that very question, Margaret denied any involvement or anything to do with her husband's killing. Of course, the detectives didn't believe a word of it, not for a minute, so they continued asking questions around the quaint little community of Beersville. They found that several years earlier, the Dillards lived near one William Bartholomew and his wife. William began an intimate relationship with Margaret Dillard, who was 12 years younger than he was. Their mistake was that they made little effort to try to hide their romance, causing frequent quarrels between both households. Aaron Dillard, in an effort to save his marriage and family, moved his family to a farm about three miles away, and it seemed to work as the romance ceased. Now, William Bartholomew was a particularly unpleasant man, to say the least. A slouchy, unkempt, repulsive-looking man of about 50 years old. It was said that he just naturally looked like a felon. In 1888, his wife, Miss Bartholomew, became ill, and as she lay dying, he was called for to come comfort her. She wanted him to come in and see her. The pitiful excuse of a man only replied that he didn't have time for that. She would just have to wait until he did. Miss Bartholomew finally died without her husband even coming in to check on her at all. In fact, it was his daughter who had to hunt him down and tell him after finding him drunk in a tavern. After that, the good-for-nothing scoundrel didn't even bother to attend her funeral. It was rumored that William had poisoned his wife, but no proof of that could be found there were poisons during this time that were indetectable during autopsy. I have to remember that. One just had to know which ones they were as doctors tended to keep that information close to the vest after the rash of arsenic poisonings during the Victorian age. 
it too was undetectable for that period of time. But after learning all of that, the detectives also found out that after his wife's death, William found and resumed his relationship with Margaret Dillard, and three or four times a week he made a three-mile trek to go see her. Jacob, their Ms. Dillard's son, told the detectives that Mr. Bartholomew even come to the house when his father was away and would give him candy and peanuts and send him to the store for tobacco. Sometimes the repulsive, overbearing man would even stay overnight, sleeping right there in his father's bed. It was all but impossible to hide their infidelity since everybody slept in the same room and uh, sound travels. Aaron Dillard had even complained to his neighbors about Mr. Bartholomew's behavior, and at the time of his murder, he was planning to move the family out west this time to try to get away from the bully. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. I'm Larry Bentley. Let me tell you about a friend of mine that has his own podcast. The podcast is called Mysterious Circumstances, and my friend is Justin, the host. If you'd like mysteries, well, look no further. Mysterious Circumstances covers it all. One of my favorites was his series on John Dillinger. Just a great, well-researched, and well-presented podcast. Give Mysterious Circumstances a listen for me, will you? Thanks. William Bartholomew was now the prime suspect in the murder of Aaron Dillard, so now armed with a search warrant, the detectives went to the Bartholomew home and questioned him and his daughter. They also searched the house. Mr. Bartholomew's daughter recognized the keys found at the crime scene as belonging to her father. She also said that he had left the house right before midnight while he tried to say that he was home all night. Sounds like his daughter has had just about all of William that she can take too, don't it? The paper wasn't found at the scene. Normally would have been purchased at a gun store and been unremarkable if that had been the case. But in this case, it was commonly, and it was commonly done when one was out of the gun store paper wadding. It was torn from a page of the Northampton Democrat found in Mr. Bartholomew's house. The torn piece found at the scene fit back on the page just like a puzzle piece, and Mr. Bartholomew's boots perfectly matched the footprints at the scene. There was little doubt about who had dropped the hammer on poor Aaron Dillard. Again, Margaret Dillard denied any involvement in the murder. But at her husband's funeral, she fell completely apart and had a change of heart. That's when she confessed everything about all of it to the presiding minister right in the middle of the funeral. There was an inquest held, at the, and at the inquest, she testified against William Bartholomew. She said that she would not, he would not leave her alone, and that she just did not like him. She had tried everything she knew to break it off with him, but get away from him, but he just wouldn't leave her alone. She then said that when Mr. Bartholomew came up with the idea of killing her husband, she was then forced to agree with him. She removed the fire, or he removed the firing pin from her husband's gun. He told her to say that she heard something out the chicken coop and Aaron would come out and check on it. He would be under the cherry tree and shoot him when he got there. He also told her to say that she didn't hear the gunshots. 
I suppose that she forgot about one little detail when she said all of that. When her husband made it back to the house safely, she sent him back out to look in the cherry tree, knowing that William was standing right there ready to kill him. Mr. Bartholomew and Margaret Dillon, uh, Dillard were both arrested and charged with first-degree murder. In exchange for her testimony against Mr. Bartholomew, the district attorney promised to use all of his influence with the governor to save her from the gallows if indeed she were convicted. The following October, they were tried separately, and Ms. Dillard testified against William, who was found guilty and sentenced to hang by the neck until dead. She was then tried, convicted, and also sentenced to be hanged. In January 1890, the district attorney made good on his promise by doing exactly what he said he would do, and her sentence was commuted to life in prison. On April 9, 1890, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania executed four men in four separate cities. 800 people watched as William Bartholomew stood on the gallows in Easton, Pennsylvania. His last words were declarations of innocence, mixed with curses to those who had accused him and blasphemy toward God Almighty. He demanded that Mr. Mrs. Dillard and Detective Johnson be brought immediately to the gallows and hanged right beside him even after the black hood had already been placed over his head and the rope around his neck. <laughs> Did all that as if he were in a position to make such a demand. Nonetheless, he was pronounced dead in a matter of minutes. Now, I could find nothing at all further on Margaret, so we are left to guess whether she died in a Pennsylvania prison sometime thereafter or, as we see so often in cases, maybe paroled sometimes later to go on and live her remaining years in peace. But uh, she never made the papers again, whatever happened. I could also find nothing at all on William Bartholomew's daughter, who undoubtedly danced at the execution of such an evil man who she had testified against at trial. Apparently, she went on to live her life in peace as well. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com and search Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. Or you can go to the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. I'll see you then.